the statement once an addict always an addict that statement uh that i i mean i i uh, lived from for so long what do you think about that statement what does that uh how does that resonate in your personal journey and what you teach guys yeah, that's a hard one. Um, you know, I think that I would much prefer to say once a child of God, always a child of God. And that I don't think that minimizes the reality of addiction. I think it just reframes and says, okay, we need to recognize that our core identity must be who I am in, in Jesus, not about my struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I tell my guys all the time that, you know, well, so it's, you know, it's now August of 2022. So I've got almost 22 and a half years of sobriety. Mm. I know that the old pathways, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer and understand, you know, a little bit of understanding how the brain works helps a lot. And pathways that are laid down in the brain, I often, you know, I often use like highways as illustrations or roads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because every time you go down a pathway, your brain lays down, you know, just lays down a road. And, you know, at first it starts off as a footpath through tall grass. And then as you keep going over it, it becomes, you know, a well-marked trail. And then eventually it becomes a two-track. And then some of the pathways in our brains that, you know, the more we repeat them, um, the greater they are. Yeah. So by the time I was 34 years old and starting my recovery in this arena, I had a six-lane Autobahn highway of objectification, of lust, of using my sexuality as my primary coping, maladaptive coping mechanism for life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 22 and a half years later, guess where, guess what the state of that highway is? Mm. Okay. I haven't been on that highway in 22 plus years. Mm-hmm. But here's what I know. That road is still there. Mm. It's got weeds growing in it. I mean, by now there's some some trees even. Mm-hmm. But that road is still there. And if I chose to go, you know, even momentarily go back into my old way, If I were to say, okay, today's, you know, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of it. It's not worth the fight. And I started clicking on porn today. That highway would be rebuilt very quickly. Hmm. Because, you know, like I said before, you know, I I love being in the mountains. I love being in, you know, back backwoods kind of places. And so one of my favorite places, you know, one of my things I'm always looking for is closed logging roads mm. because those closed logging road logging roads, they'll have trees in them, they'll have bushes in them. But the basic, you know, topography has established an easy, good way to get through country. Mm. And so I can take those roads as hiking roads and I can cover a lot more ground, a lot more distance 
hopefully hear a few extra elk bugles along the way. <laughs> and, and, and they're incredibly helpful. Hmm. Now, being from New Mexico, I grew up in New Mexico, um, the national forest in New Mexico and the closed roads, unfortunately, there's a, how do I put it? There's a very low regard for those closings. So the Forest Service will close a road, even put a fence sign on it, and a week later somebody's knocked down the sign and is driven on the roads. Mm-hmm. So like some of these closed logging roads, even though they've been closed, even though there's trees growing up in them, all it takes is one Yahoo driving around it or driving through the sign, driving over the burn, and driving over that younger vegetation and then 12 more people come right after it and that road is reestablished. Hmm. So I know that maybe I've taken a longer course than you wanted to illustrate this, but it's been helpful to my guys. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in once an addict, always an addict, because I don't believe in claiming the identity of an addict as my, my identity is not an addict. My identity is I am a son of the king. I am a son of God. Mm-hmm. a brother of Jesus Christ and that's who I am. Yeah. Yeah. But I fully recognize mm-hmm. that even 30 more years from now if I live to be that old that road is still going to be like those old logging roads in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And if I take even one trip down that road that road is going to open back up. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the wisdom in the addiction circles of saying, you know, once an addict, always an addict. So, you know, an alcoholic can never have a, you know, a sip of alcohol or they'll be right back in it. I think the wisdom of that is recognizing that those pathways are in my brain. Mm-hmm. I've got some weeds growing in them. They're not as strong as they used to be, but they can be reestablished like that. And I think that anyone who's struggled in this arena, who doesn't have that understanding and that awareness Mm -hmm. is playing with fire and just wait. And the day is coming where they are back in full relapse. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the things that I've seen through the years is, you know, it took us all in our original struggle many years to build up to wherever we were right? when we hit a bottom, when we really started coming out. Yeah. Okay. So if you could measure that numerically, let's say that I was at a 72. You know, if you could measure it on a 1 to 100, I let's just arbitrarily say I was at a 72 when February of 2000 hit and God showed me a pathway out of my addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. If 22 years later, I decided to reopen that road. Yeah. You know, it took me 34 years of life to get to a 72. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would take me a week to get back to 72. Mm. And so my experience, and and I often tell this to to men and and to couples, Mm -hmm. is I say, you really need to count the cost. Mm -hmm. Because if you relapse, and I don't mean just like one crash, but I mean, if a man 
dives back into his addiction, mm-hmm. he invariably is very quickly back where he ended mm-hmm. and usually now going the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, very most, cool, yeah. most, and, and that's been my experience. It's also why I tell guys why they need to be, um, especially appreciative when their wife chooses to risk again, Hmm. because what the wife is risking is whatever the husband has done in the past Mm -hmm. and him going right back to there and even progressing further. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell the guys all the time, you're asking your wife to push all her chips in and bet the house and everything on you staying in recovery and staying in healthy places. Yeah. So when she's struggling with whether she wants to do that or not, you got to understand that the incredible agonizing pain that she's been in is what she is terrified of experiencing again. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And like you gave the analogy that or the you know, the reality really of a uh, alcoholic taking a taking a drink um there is a mindset that i've seen guys have that says well i'm just gonna test this out to prove that i can that i can do this now and it's like um there really isn't any wisdom in doing that um you know because uh and and that's that really is. I think that's going to come out in one of your uh, statements on denial, isn't it? <laughs> we think what what we think we're thinking, we're really not thinking. There's some deeper motives going on and other things, and it's like uh, we really just wanted to have a beer, you know. I mean, that really was just that. But there mm-hmm. there was no testing it out and seeing if I'm strong enough now. There's no wisdom in doing that. So, you know, looking at masturbation and porn and guys that uh, I know that's another topic even in the christian church that can be controversial you know whether sure we should masturbate or not and it's like i i tell guys well it's the same concept i mean whether you it doesn't make any difference whether you agree with that or not um i i do not believe that it's necessary and okay but um you know whether you believe that or not doesn't matter you know if you struggled in this area why would you do that it's like taking a sip of alcohol if you're an alcoholic you know don't play with the fire you don't you know and um, not only that, but uh, when we do get rid of that, the pursuit, you know, of our wives really does change in the way that we approach them. And yeah, it's it it really is always better when we live according to God's design, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of our, you know, one of our pioneers, especially in Christian sexual addiction recovery, Mark Laser, I heard him at a training, a training deal in Kansas City a number of years ago. Mm. And it was, he had just recently, uh, you know, the fMRI technology was um, taking, you know, taking off and he had been approached and they asked him to do an fMRI with his brain that has been, I don't know how many years at that time away from pornography. Mm. And they asked him to look at pornographic imageries. Mm. As a way of seeing how the brain would respond mm. after so long of recovery. Mm. 
he and his wife wrestled with it. They prayed about it and they decided that, okay, this for the research benefit of it, this could be, this would be worth it. Hmm. And so Mark said, you know, he said, I was, I went into it with a lot of fear and trepidation, a lot of prayer and went through the session. And I was really proud of myself. I really felt like I handled it well. And I really felt like, okay, this was different and it was different. Mm -hmm. And so he got done and he told the person doing it, he says, he says, so my brain didn't react at all, did it? He says, oh, no, you're kidding yourself. It lit up like a Christmas tree. Mm, But what was interesting was the old pathways. He said that that he did notice that his brain took some workarounds, Mm. that it didn't go through the norm, quite the normal, typical pleasure pathway that those that would typically do for a man that they'd done those kind of research on. Yeah. But that it lit up like a Christmas tree, finding workaround ways to get into that pleasure center. Mm. Mm. And I just think that's such a powerful, uh, not a, not illustration, but, uh, Mm. you know, a neurobiological example of, you know, we're kidding ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. We can't, you know, especially once we have established those pathways Mm-hmm. those roads are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so our job is to build the, you know, build the fences, build the signs, build yeah. the berms and never go on that road again. Mm-hmm. But yeah. with the healthy awareness that if I start down that road, mm-hmm. it's not going to end well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so true. I think it was really worth fleshing that all out and um, necessary because uh, because of this word denial and so many, so many guys, you know, I've seen guys at six months, um, you know, after six months of freedom, sobriety, whatever you want to call it. And they're like, I've got this, you know, see, mm-hmm. I accomplished that. And and that's like, um, wait a minute, you know, there, there are some potholes, six months and a year, you know, uh, those are not places where you want to start disengaging from a recovery program and thinking I could go back to a normal life, whatever normal is, you know, right. <laughs> I tell guys, this is your new normal. Like, this is the way you need to live your life in real vulnerable conversations and uh, in this type of a group setting. And, um, but still this, um, this denial can be so thick and it can really uh, mess things up. I love your writing about this denial. It's such an elusive thing that we struggle with. Um, So in your writing, in your book, you wrote about five modes of denial, five different types of denial. And um, I, uh, yeah, I wrote them out here. So uh, we could remember them, outright denial, comparison, minimization, justification, and denial of momentary reality. So, so interesting in these different pieces. Uh, would you mind taking a few minutes and talking about that topic here? Sure. Any, any of them in particular you want me to jump into? You know, outright denial is just that, you know, and this is especially where 
uh, gaslighting kicks in, you know, guys who look their wives in the eye and say, no, I, I don't know how that's on the computer history, but it's not me. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had guys who've thrown their 11, 12 year old or even younger sons under the bus for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's just that it's an ugly, ugly place of, nope, not me. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's a, just a protection of, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a, a quick side note, um, the more a man has to lose, the greater his strength and gift of outright denial often is. Mm. Every pastor, every um semi-high-profile church leader I've ever worked with has outright lied to me and his wife about the depth of his struggles mm-hmm. because they have so much to lose in their yeah. mind. Right. Um, so, you know, outright denial and then uh, comparison denial, you know, we can always look around and find somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, guys who look at softcore pornography, they compare it and say, well, I'm not looking at any hardcore. I'm not like those guys. Right. Um, guys who do pornography. Well, but I've never crossed the flesh line. I've never had a physical affair. Mm-hmm. Um, guys who've had physical affairs. Well, it was only I've only done one night stands. It's not like your your father or your uncle who had you know, mm-hmm. uh, a 10 year affair with his secretary, right. you know, the bottom line is we can always find somebody that we can look at who in our minds is worse than us. And so therefore I can compare. And so mine's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, right. Minimization denial. Um you know, I can't, you know, I, I don't get too many covenant eyes reports anymore because I, I don't have time. And I'm honestly, I'm not, I'm not the best of accountability partners in that regard because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's just, that's just not my um, cup of tea to, you know, to be following up on that all the time. I'm not a good detail person, but, you know, I've had guys through the years who've said, yeah, I've struggled a little bit. And for whatever reason, I felt a calling to look at their covenant eyes reports and find out that struggling a little bit was a 10 hour binge and really Mm. ugly, horrific pornography. Mm. But, you know, in their confession of it, their confession was, you know, I, I, I looked at porn a little bit, a little bit. Right. Yeah. And you know, I tell guys all the time, you know, a, a partial confession does more harm than good. Mm, yeah. A partial confession actually further reinforces um, the shame pathways in your brain mm. because it says, you know, the toxic shame says, well, if they knew how bad I really well, I really am, then nobody would would accept me. Right. And so when they confess and they get a little taste of forgiveness, mm-hmm. it actually is counterproductive because they know, well, but if, you know, the enemy is just shouting at them inside their head. Yeah. But if you would have told them all of it, 
then they would not have re, re, you know met you there right and i've seen that too so many times i when i hear the whole story it's like um you know it it didn't make the the big difference that he thought that it did you know it really was not that big of a of a difference a little well, bit and, more a little and bit what's more, so amazing more. yeah what's so amazing and frustrating to me is how often guys do that with their wives in disclosures Right. Or uh, especially, especially non-facilitated disclosures when disclosures are done poorly. Mm-hmm. How many times, guys? You know, it's 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 like they, uh, you know, one individual. You know, I'm just making up an example. It's like it's like a guy who says, you know, well, I, I saw 13 prostitutes. Yeah. And then we come to find out six months later that it was actually 19 prostitutes. Right. And so you step back for a second and you say, you know, the damage to his wife was not really, you know, Mm -hmm. if he would have come out from the beginning and said 19, yes, that would have been horrific. Yeah. But was it any more horrific than 13 in that initial disclosure? Yeah. No. The lie that he believes is it was in his eyes. You know, that's the lie he's under. But then, but then when it comes out three months, six months later. Yeah. Then it's the, you know, then, then the minimization now that it's getting, you know, brought in the light, it's like, what no then the deception and the lying about that which is always more difficult even more difficult for wives than the actual sexual acting out yeah the gaslighting the secret basement all of that when it comes out it's like you know oh i even when he confesses i i don't know that i can believe him right right and so we have to Mm -hmm. and so we have to do the hard work of working through our tendency to minimize and we all have it. It's a self natural self protection defense mechanism within us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we have to press through it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next time of of denial I have in there is justification denial. Uh, you know, it's the denial that says, "Well, I know my heart right, wasn't right, but under the circumstances, anyone would have done it." Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Like Saul, when he says the reason that he didn't wait for Samuel was because the enemy was there and the men were afraid and, you know, anybody would have done what I did. And Samuel just says, "Uh, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it's also the man who says, well, but you don't know my wife. You don't know how sexually shut down she is. Or you don't know how critical she is. And so I turn to my addiction to handle that. And so there's this justification Mm. or the justification of the pastor who says, well, yeah, but, um, you know, it was it was it was my it was the member of my church and she pursued me relentlessly. And so eventually I gave in. Mm. Yeah. And abdicated his role as a shepherd and the protector. Mm-hmm. And instead, you know, even if she was the pursuer, mm-hmm. the bottom line is it's a it's a position of power. Yeah. 
And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's that expression I've used before that, you know, a pastor cannot have an affair with a church member. It's always a form of sexual abuse because it is a power dynamic. Yeah. The pastor is the one who has the responsibility to be the protector, even if the member is the pursuer, even if the member is the one pushing the boundaries. Mm-hmm. The pastor is the shepherd. He's the one in the position of power. And it's his job to keep the relationship safe. Mm, so true. Yeah. And so justification is one of those places where we can, uh, you know, uh, the human, you know, our, our human ability to justify, we can justify almost anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you don't believe that, watch the news. <laughs> yeah. You know, read Instagram thinking, a little bit. I was thinking in terms of, um, so we're talking about justification afterwards or when you know when you're in the confession seat but the uh thinking thinking about it from the perspective of just before acting out too the justification is well this is just going to be one last time you know one last time times i don't know how many times it was the last time for me when i acted out you know just one last time we can justify it beforehand too right absolutely Mm -hmm. Absolutely. somehow in our mind we paint a picture that it's okay you know God's going to forgive you. You know, your wife will uh, never has to know whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the lies and the deception that's wrapped up in that beforehand, as well as justifying it afterwards, for sure. Sure. Denial. And then the last one I have on there is the, I called it the denial of momentary reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, you know, uh, one youth minister um, comes to my mind. I had lunch with him. This was, many, many years ago, early in my ministry in this regard. And I shared with him my story and he's nodding his head and he said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I've struggled with that in my past too. And I pressed the point with him a little bit and, you know, eventually it came out my past was last week right? <laughs> or may, right. may have been even a couple days ago. Yes. And, and it's that, you know, it's that part of, you know, it's that where we shift in our brain and we say, okay, well, yeah, I acted out, but now I'm done with it and I'm not going to do that anymore. So therefore it's yeah. in my past and I can, I, I I'm good now. Yeah. Right. It's all good now. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> no. Yes. I've experienced that. I mean, I've done that myself, I know. And then in leading guys too, the that um I love that you that you named it, you know, the denial of momentary reality. And yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, that's what I that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that as well. You know, a long time ago was 10 minutes, you know, like how long are 10 minutes to you? Because a long time ago, thinking year ago, two years ago, mm-hmm. I started asking guys um, multiple choice questions, you know. So how often do you masturbate? Is it 20 times a day, 20 times a week or 20 times a month? You know, and when was the last time? Was it was it this morning? Was it last week or was it last month? You know, like let's because, um, yeah, okay. Uh, I can't, I might not be able to remember 10 years ago so much, but certainly if it was this morning, you know that it was this morning and just say it was this morning, you know, right. <laughs> but putting it, putting it into perspective, I've had guys say, no, it's not 20 times a day, you know, maybe 20 times a month. I mean, they, 
they they wrestle with with the different choices and i'm like just you know which one is it and maybe maybe you'll get a lot more of the truth but not necessarily but that's um yeah the idea of uh the denial of momentary reality i remember being asked that in my first uh what we called it an accountability group of men and they said is porn still a struggle in your life and i said no <laughs> because i guess i'm in a yesterday. struggle this morning it was a seven o'clock meeting and i hadn't had a trouble yet exactly right yeah exactly you know we we have to we really do have to wrestle with these different you know what what kind of questions are we really asking and how helpful is accountability accountability itself um has to be uh defined and and fine-tuned so that it is actually helpful otherwise it really isn't at all and it just becomes another another opportunity to lie you know now i mean sure you know i, I could if you outright asked me did you masturbate yesterday I, I looked at porn i still could have said no for sure and i and back then i know i would have if i were asked a direct question i wasn't i wasn't ready uh to to really really work on this um although each time i behave that way i i told myself i you know i need to stop this i know it's wrong i don't want to be doing this but yeah i'm pretty sure i would have outright lied anyways but that's well but i think that i think that that's something too though that we have to continually educate our men about is my integrity is always my responsibility mhm mm and it's not a matter it's not up to my accountability partners or my wife or any or my counselor asking the right question on the right day in the right way mm -hmm. right. if i want right. to be a man of integrity it is my job to take the initiative to put my stuff on the table mm -hmm. no matter whether or not they're asking the right questions or not right right and I think that that's one of the inherent um, flaws in accountability. I mean, I love Dr. Larry Crabb back in the day. He, in one of his books, he says, yeah, uh, accountability is, is, is for those who are really bad at relationships. <laughs> yeah. wow. And it was a reaction yeah. to like the, you know, the seven questions of accountability from promise keepers or different things like that. And, and, right. and believe me, I think they have their place. Right. And I think they have their place in part because most of us are bad at relationships. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that they also become a false illusion that says, okay, um, I'm good as long as my accountability people don't ask the right question mm -hmm. rather than recognizing that, wait a second, I'm only good if I'm being transparent and honest. Right. And whether or not my accountability people, whether or not my check in, the person I'm checking in with or not is even capable of asking hard questions is irrelevant. Yeah. What matters is, Am I willing to be truthful and honest and transparent and put my stuff out on the table in the hope and the trust that God will honor my transparency and my honesty and bring his healing hand and work in my life in these places? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I love, I love that statement and wrestling with that accountability 
is is only good if it's in the context of actual true vulnerable relationship and that's so so yeah larry crab was so right so true isn't it it's um accountability is um what we really need is relationship for sure and um accountability could be a part of that but we really do need relationship and those of absolutely us struggle or have struggled i mean that's part that's part of the challenge and part of the thing that we've been medicating and using porn to cope with is that we find relationship hard painful we are insecure we don't like the guy in the mirror you know all these all these things that um i don't remember you know how many times that i would have a conversation and then i would be beating myself up for some little minuscule word that i said for three weeks you know oh my gosh i can't believe i did that and this other person of course doesn't even know at all right remember me saying that or whatever it is you know i'm just i'm wrestling with um mistakes that i think i made in a relationship that i didn't even really make you know or made a fool of myself i mean it's just the fear of loss of relationship is so strong in there and that's um that's why uh when you say you know, we're bad at relationship because we don't know how to do relationship right early on these the, the guys who struggle and that was my case too i didn't i didn't really know how to do relationship because it was terrifying scary one of the real common things i've heard from guys in our groups for the years is they're in group for a little while and they say wow i never knew i could have friends like this yeah i never knew that real relationship happened this way mm. Yeah, because, you know, our standard line is, you know, my my joking, not joking line is, yeah, once you've talked about porn and masturbation, you can talk about anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so once you get that out on the table, then the daily struggles of life, the insecurities, the struggles. You know, the reality is um, our world is moving further and further away from good relational connection. Mm-hmm. And men especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so men are hungry. They're dying for relational connection, but they don't even, they, it's so foreign to them. They don't even know that's what they're thirsty for. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so the groups provide, you know, the desperation of having to attend a men's group because my wife's ready to divorce me and my counselor says I have to. Um, oftentimes, um, is the awakening that causes a man to go, oh, this is a key component that's been missing all my life. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't realize it until they're in there doing it. Yeah. And that's it. So true. And we need that, um, ultimatum. So many, so many of us, I've heard four out of five guys need the ultimatum in order to to uh, really deal with this problem effectively and truthfully. Well, that's, you know, that going back to, you know, you asked about my beginning, um, you know, that was, that was the reality is I thought, because I was the guy who always had his radar on looking for a way out. And so to be honest with you, when I first announced that I was going to do groups like this, I was terrified of getting overrun. 
Hmm. Because I thought that everyone was where I was at. And as soon as they heard there was a way out, man, they were going to be flocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 20 years, 21 years later, I'm still waiting for that to happen in many respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I've learned in that time is that nine out of 10 men come to me because their wife has said, get out or get, get help or get out. Yeah. Or they've been fired at work. Right. Or they've hit a, an incredibly painful place of consequence. Mm-hmm. Which just a quick side note, you know, for the ladies here listening, for the wives here listening, it's why it's perfectly okay and perfectly good and healthy for you to say, you've got to decide whether you're going to choose me or your porn, because I'm not going to share my bed, my house, my home, my kids mm-hmm. with porn stars any longer. Yeah. So you get help or you get out. Right. And that's harsh. Yeah. But it's a harshness that unfortunately mm-hmm. most men need. Yeah. In order to yeah. take the, I can't tell you how many of my guys through the years have said the hardest thing in the world was getting out of their car in the parking lot and coming into our group the first time. Right. Right. And if my wife weren't set on, leaving if i didn't i would have never made that mm-hmm. 30 yard trek across the parking lot yeah yeah absolutely and and then the really cool part though is then them saying and i'm so thankful that i did right right yeah and then seeing them come full, full circle where they're so grateful for that boundary that their wife set you know, Absolutely. And that's possible as well. Although, yeah, for so many of them, maybe they're angry at first, but that that's what, you know, that's what it takes, uh, knowing that that's what most guys need. You know? Most of them are angry initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of a running joke in our groups. You know, I tell guys all the time, I know that's, I know that you're not real happy with me right now mm-hmm. and that's right. okay because yeah. I love you enough to let you be mad at me. Because someday you'll thank me if you follow this course. So if you want to be mad at me right now, that's perfectly fine. Talk to the guys around you. They've they've been there also. Yeah. Yes, Daryl, I think um, that's, you know, is, you know, leading this type of ministry in this sector. We've become, um, we have to be okay with guys being mad at us for a while. And that's totally fine. I'm, you know, (laughs) it's a reality we have to deal with. And it's all right, you know. That's uh, that's what it takes, but uh, it's worth it seeing the guys that actually do become the men that God intended them, the fathers, the husbands that they always wanted to be, that their spouse always dreamed of. You know, it is possible and uh, they need to know that and have that hope. But that that is where it starts for so many guys sure. that it uh, with with that ultimatum, you know, and for sure, you know, so um well, Daryl, you know, I could uh, I could talk to you for a long, long time, and I definitely want to have you back on our podcast again. We need to do this again. I have uh, a lot more questions for you, and uh, really love the conversation, love talking to you. You're, uh, uh, what is the, the website where people can get some of the resources and take advantage of uh, New Hope and the recovery programs there? 
uh, our websites are newhope4si.com. That's that's shorthand New Hope for Sexual Integrity. But the four is the number four, not F O R. So New Hope for SI, New Hope for Sexual Integrity. And that has links to my manual, to um, some different um, audio and video teachings, uh, our recovery groups. We do have groups, uh, Zoom groups, as well as in person groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, then we have, I have a, a site for wives also, and there's a lot of overlap interlinks. The site for wives is protectingeve.com. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So, uh, take advantage of some of those resources guys. And, uh, Daryl, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure visiting with you.